Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. Have you entered to win yet? Session 208 is next week, and that is our fourth anniversary here at the Pre-Med Years. And to celebrate four years, I'm giving away a lot. I'm giving away coaching and my interview course and books and a lot of other things. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash contest to join. This is the Pre-Med Year, session number 207. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, this week, I have the awesome opportunity to talk to two people that are involved in a project slash business that is looking to upend how medical information is disseminated online. And they're doing that through open osmosis, which you can find at open.osmosis.org. That's O-S-M-O-S-I-S, open.osmosis.org. You're going to hear all about Shiv and his journey to medical school, including leaving medical school to start osmosis and how that has led him to where he is right now and where they want to go with open osmosis. A word of note before we jump in, the audio on this one for Shiv and Tanner, their audio is very echoey. I haven't figured out why, but I apologize if it annoys you too much, but listen, it's some great information. It's really not that bad. Let's jump in and say hi to Shiv and Tanner. Shiv and Tanner, thanks for joining me here at the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Tanner, I want to dig into your story in a little bit, but Shiv, I want to start with you. You are a medical student, non-medical student. Explain explain <laughs> to me first, why, why did you go to medical school? What is it that drew you to being a physician? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I was uh, I was one of those people who who that was the main uh, career path I'd always envisioned, and largely because you know I had really early experience in the medical profession. My mom's a physical therapist, my dad's a, a retired general practitioner, and we I grew up in South Africa for a few years, and used to follow my dad uh, to the hospital uh, whenever we didn't have a, a babysitter. And that's where I got a lot of early exposure and kind of, you know, I feel like I'm repeating my personal statement here. Um, I, you know, had a really formative experience meeting with, you know, patients and, and playing soccer with them in the, in the courtyard of this hospital. 
And it just seemed like the best profession I could imagine. Um, and then as I got into high school and college, um, you add the humanistic elements to the science. Um, you know, I'm just ultimately at heart a science nerd. Um, and I realized all the research that you could do in medicine. And that's what made me finally decide, uh, you know, to actually pull the trigger and apply it to med school. Um, but as you can tell, based on me just being on this podcast, I get a little distracted uh, doing other things uh, related to medicine, all related to medicine. Um, and that's uh, that's kind of how, how I've gone on this journey. I, I want to ask about playing soccer with patients. That doesn't sound like any hospital we have here in the States. Yeah, things are a little more fluid, at least where I was living near uh, Durban in South Africa. Um, you know, patients, many of these patients were, um, you know, they had different conditions that did enable them. For example, there were um, some people who had, I remember one of my friends had a arm amputation from an accident. Uh, when he was young, we were both four years old, four or five years old, I think, at the time. And so, you know, obviously soccer is big. Soccer and cricket were actually really big down there and, and rugby. Um, and so wound up just, you know, making friends with some of the patients who were my age while my dad was working. And, um, and many times we'd go into the courtyard and, and just play those games. That's awesome. So were you, are you an international student here? Or are you a, a U.S. citizen now? Yeah, so actually when I was six, we moved to Florida. And so I actually, most of my uh, formative years were spent in Florida and I got naturalized as a citizen um, 15 years ago. Um, and that opened up obviously a lot of opportunities uh, being an actual naturalized citizen here. Yeah, definitely helps applying to medical school, which you did apply to medical school and you did get in. Talk to me, what was one of the hardest things about applying for and getting accepted into medical school? I mean, I think um, I think there's a lot of uh, stress and pressure related to the applications, largely from peers um, who are going through the same thing. I think there's obviously a lot of uh, misinformation that goes out there, um, and I, you know, obviously, one reason you even created uh, created this excellent resource is because you want to help uh, students overcome a lot of that misinformation, um, and and featuring people who've done it who can hopefully assuage them that things will work out. And so, you know, I think the hardest thing for me was um, in, in terms of like deciding what would be the best fit. Um, I, I did, you know, kind of, I was one of those traditional students who looked at the U.S. News and World Report rankings and went by that. And it took, took a lot more maturity to decide eventually like what would make the most sense um, in terms of fit for, for what my goals are. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, my stance on the U.S. News World Report is to ignore it. So don't use that yeah. to, to pick your schools. But maybe you know that at this point. I, I learned that the hard way, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's crazy the, the information that goes into that, just how subjective it is. But anyway, it sells magazines. <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. So you're at Hopkins, correct? Correct, yep. So great medical institution, I'm sure anybody listening to this would, would die to go there. You decided after two years to, to leave there and take a little leave of absence. What, how did that decision process go to say, you know what, I'm going to take a break? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's actually getting to be more common. So I had the benefit of having, there were uh, students a couple of years ahead of us at Hopkins who had taken time off to, to launch companies as well. 
and you know taking one year off to do a tech incubator and see what they can do. For me, it was a little easier because I had already intended to take time off after my third year and go to business school. Um, and so instead of doing it after the third year, I decided to do it after the second year. And because my first year of medical school, I met my co-founder, Ryan, and we started working on osmosis and then eventually decided to both take time off and, and launch it officially. Um, it just was a kind of a no brainer to do it after our preclinical, uh, curriculum was over and before the clinical. Um, so we could really focus on it sort of like doing an MD PhD. And that's, that's how I describe it to everyone. It's like my PhD version, uh, but completely focused on, on business and entrepreneurship. Yeah. And they do have MD MBA programs as well. We, we talked to, uh, Ajay a while ago about, about his MD MBA path. But you you stated that you you had the idea that you were going to take some time off anyway. Why why did you have these desires to to enter medicine yet know that you were going to leave at some point? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Um, I think it boiled down to you know when I was in college, I I was planning to do MD PhD uh, up until my senior year of college. MD PhD was my track because I love research. Um, and then when I really thought about it. What I liked about research was impact and scalability. So I think medicine is obviously an awesome profession, and, and I still intend to go back and, and finish and, and become a practicing clinician. The main issue I saw was that um, there's systemic issues with the way medicine is delivered, um, whether it's not having a drug to treat a certain condition uh, or it's uh, actual delivery systems in place and, and how people use electronic records. That that I thought, you know, people who focus on that are able to have a much greater impact in terms of, um, it isn't as personal, it isn't one-on-one of the patient, but it's a, it's a greater impact over a shorter period of time. And so that's what appealed to me about research. And then I realized that um, what I like most, since I like impact the most, uh, there's a lot of research out there that are, already exists. For example, in the context of osmosis, there's a lot of learning science research that just has not translated into practice. Um, and I thought that after talking to a lot of mentors, um, the MBA, the business route, uh, and taking time off while I was in med school to pursue that training would help me better understand while I was in training um, and going through you know, third, fourth year of med school, residency, et cetera, how to identify opportunities and, and solve them uh, through the, the skills that I developed. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that thinking because there... A while ago, I interviewed the dean of admissions at UCF, the University of Central Florida, the, the dean of the medical school, and she talked about the, the kind of the three categories of dreamers at, at UCF, and the first one was the, the Mother Teresa person that took care of patients, and that's more of the, the kind of the, the, the worker bees, the physicians that are working every day, and then there were the Nobel Prize winners, the ones that are out curing cancer and eliminating obesity and, and having more of that global scale. scale, And then that next level, she, she mentioned the sergeants general about just global health in general and healthcare reform. And, and so you're, you're more on that top level of, of total reform and impact. And, and that's kind of what I see myself doing here at the pre-med years too, is, is I could be out uh, seeing patients and one patient a day or whatever, or I could be helping the pre-meds get into school and, and having a, an exponential impact. So I definitely understand your thinking. Exactly. And, and, and actually, you know, when, when we go and start talking about some of the open osmosis stuff, my colleague Tanner, who's on your, uh, actually didn't even have to go to med school and he's, 
he's trained uh, individually more than 55,000 students have learned from him at least. Um, and so being able to come in with uh, a knack for science or, uh, or medicine and have such a global impact is something that I think now through internet uh, technologies and, and, you know, just tech in general, you're able to do uh, without having to go through a really expensive, you know, long process. And even though I intend to go back and finish med school, I know my co-founder is not probably not going to do that, but he's our CTO and is having a tremendous impact by building the actual platform that uh, over 65,000 students are using right now. Yeah. So talk about Osmosis. What, what was your goal behind it or what is your goal at this point? Yeah, so when we started, it was pretty much just a, uh, a platform uh, at Johns Hopkins that our classmates and I use to crowdsource questions based on our curriculum. So, uh, you know, many med students, and you can relate to this when you were in med school, it's almost like death by PowerPoint. We're getting a ton of material thrown at us from many different resources, uh, different professors and different resources. And we thought that there would be more effective ways to organize and crowdsource the um uh, quizzing of each other. So, for example, there were a group of 20 of us out of my class of 120 who, in the first year at Johns Hopkins, wrote uh, something like 50,000 questions and flashcards uh, to quiz each other on um, because our professors weren't you know, really giving us a lot of formative questions to answer. But then within a month of launching Osmosis at Hopkins, we started hearing from students at other schools who wanted similar tools um, and, and be, able, be able to create private groups like, like we can in Osmosis. Um, and collaborate with each other. So we started taking it more seriously and, and building out, it out and scaling it. And so within uh, a year of starting it, we actually launched a mobile app that let more people join. We went from 240 students at Hopkins to 5,000. Um, and we joined a tech incubator that essentially helped us scale it further. But up until last year, it was pretty much mostly a tech platform that allowed people to um, to input their curricula into private groups and then crowdsource material, but also uniquely to recommend other content. So if you're a student at University of Arizona and you have a lecture on sickle cell anemia today, we'll send you a video automatically on sickle cell anemia. Um, we started realizing around that point when we built the recommendation system, though, that Recommendation systems are only as good as the content you have. Um, and so the platform evolved into having a really strong content component. Um, and that's where Open Osmosis came into play. We got a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to develop really awesome questions, flashcards, and, and now videos. And that's where the Khan Academy medicine team came in. And, and people like Tanner uh, and, and Rishi Desai joined us to, to develop that content. Yeah. So Tanner... I, th I think everybody listening to this knows what Khan Academy is. How did you, like, where do you come into play here with your background to, to be creating content for Khan Academy Medicine? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, so I, when I graduated college, I had um, done a master's degree right on top of my bachelor's in biomedical engineering. Um, and right after graduating, I moved out to Portland and started working for Biotronic, which is a is similar to Medtronic. They do um, pacemakers and defibrillators. And I worked in the industry for a while. And I, just kind of on the side, I had always just done a lot of design work, um, just kind of for fun. Um, but one of my good friends worked at Khan Academy in the math, and he just forwarded me forwarded me an application to the medicine team, like they had some openings to do videos. And so basically I got brought on to do things in cardiology because that's kind of where I was working. Um, 
And so I started doing all the cardiology uh, content for Khan Academy. And then that kind of snowballed into doing other, just branching out into other topics. That's awesome. And obviously Khan Academy is huge. Why would you ever leave Khan Academy and go work for someone like Shiv? (laughs) (laughs) It was not by choice, uh, whether or not. (laughs) Ouch, I can see guys. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Shiv. Um, No, like, so what happened was I was just kind of cranking away, um, doing my own thing, because I lived in Portland, Oregon at the time, uh, making videos, and I was working with Rishi as well. And I just kind of caught wind that, Khan Academy decided not to fund any more health content. Um, they were just kind of like pulling the plug, uh, I guess, probably just because they thought they had enough. And I mean, maybe they do, but um, that's kind of what happened. And then uh, one day we all, were all working at Khan Academy kind of, and then the next day we weren't. So uh-huh. um, after that, yeah, that's when Rishi moved over to Osmosis um and sent kind of an email to the the team at Khan Academy I was like hey I'm going to Osmosis if anyone wants to join me (laughs) and so that's yeah and then I kind of contacted him and was like hey um I can keep making videos for Osmosis interesting so I wonder I wonder how many people actually know that Khan Academy isn't really making a lot of videos anymore for the medicine side of things but good to know Sorry, I'll, I'll interject too, because that was one thing where Khan Academy really is doubling down on their K-12. Um, as you probably know, Sal Khan started a school. Uh, his, his, his children are attending that school. It's a physical school, um, in addition to, the, obviously, the online Khan Academy. Um, but what we also realized, what Rishi, and, and just for context, Rishi is our chief medical officer. Um, he's uh, a pediatric infectious disease attending at Stanford, and he, he really started Khan Academy Medicine. Um, from the from when he was working at the CDC and then joined uh, that team uh, and began the whole medicine and health program, we um, we got connected because we both got grants from the Robert Johnson Foundation and, and started talking about uh, how medical education is different from say high school education, which Khan Academy focuses on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we they learned a lot of lessons from the Khan Academy in terms of how to convey content uh, more efficiently and more concisely um, for medicine. And I think we've learned a lot of lessons uh, from them that we've taken. And actually, I think we're, we're growing faster than Khan Academy Medicine ever grew um, in terms of the number of subscribers we get every day on our YouTube channel. And we also have partnerships that I think are pretty unique. We, uh, all of our videos now are going onto Wikipedia. Uh, and that's largely because, as you may have noticed, Ryan, we're osmosis.org. Uh, we we license our content under a, a less restrictive license than even the Khan Academy does, uh, which is why it's uh, our our um, content has diffused um, to to more places in keeping with the osmosis theme. So talk about open osmosis for a minute, Shiv. Who exactly are you targeting with this content, and what what is the content? We haven't really talked about that. What what sort of videos are you making? So I'll, I'll start with just the high level and then let Tanner go into the specifics um, because he's, he's, he's made pretty much all the videos at this point. Um, from a high level, we wanted to t- basically target medical students. Um, you know, in Osmosis, the platform has, been, has now reached 65,000 medical students and 22 medical schools officially used the, uh, the platform. Uh, we, start, we kept hearing from students who wanted better, high-quality content and also not to pay, not to break their bank for the content. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of great resources out there. There's Pathoma, there's Dr. Najib Lectures, there's Goli on Audio. Um, but we realized that a lot of these things, like even Pathoma, 
are really long lectures. They're like 20 to 40 minute lectures. Um, he, he explains things extremely well, but they're still like long and not very good for quick reviews, uh, right before say exams or whatnot. And so we wanted to make things even simpler, uh, for medical students. But in the process, we've actually realized that nursing, PA, pharmacy, um, uh, dentistry students are using osmosis, even veterinary students, and most surprisingly patients and their families. And that's actually been really an exciting development. Um, I'll let Tanner talk about specifically what content we produce, how he produces the content, and um, and maybe your reactions, Tanner, to the fact that now patients uh, are using this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, well, so like it started with just a basic review. Like we we basically look at like all or the main points, um, the high yield so-called uh, points of information for for med students, and then I try to hit them all in one video. But then also. I think also what I try to do is to make it visual enough to for the average viewer to, to see it and know how something works, whether or not like they don't have to get stuck in the weeds with all the details, but um, to have a video that kind of caters to both while at the same time gives that information to med students to review. And that's essentially what we're going for, and they're all in like small modules like I, I really try not to hit 10 minutes um, at that point. I mean, you really see a drop-off in viewership. and um, So the shorter, the better we kind of go for. And so they're really quick review, but that's essentially what we're trying to go for. What's your favorite system to, to work on? Um, you mean like software or no, hardware? No, no. The uh, like favorite body system. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we're we're talking to uh, students here, pre med students. Yeah, I was. I thought that was an interesting question. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I've been pretty thick into renal right now. Um, almost done with that. Uh, I did cardiology. I uh, genetics actually has been pretty interesting. Um, just because it's so it's so broad, like the, each genetic syndrome can be like completely different. Um, so I've enjoyed making those recently and we have a pretty, pretty awesome script writer that has, it does a really good job at, with research and, um, he's also in the field and so he's produced some pretty great scripts and yeah. And I think overall those are probably the most interesting to do. That's great. Shiv, where do you see open osmosis going? You know, I think we, we've we covered over 150 topics, I believe now, Tanner, um, and the team produces 10 to 20 videos a month, and we're, you know, working to, to make even more. Uh, what's really interesting, too, is that we've started getting more collaborators and sponsors. So we've worked with Kaiser Permanente, we've worked with Rush Medical College, now the American Board of Medical Specialties, Merck Manual, and, and there are a whole number in the pipeline who basically love the mission that we have and uh, are helping us create more videos uh, by, by helping you know, pay for some of these video production uh, costs that we have. We, um, we like to cover uh, you know, hundreds, if not over a thousand videos and in the process reach not only, as I said, medical students, because osmosis, you know, we don't get up every day really excited about um, helping somebody get five points higher on step, we, we do that. That's a side effect of what we do, and it's more than five points generally when somebody actually uses the system. But what excites us is conveying really high-quality medical information 
to anyone, right? Not just uh, medical students, as I mentioned, but pharmacy, nursing, vet, and patients and their families. And that's probably one of the most gratifying things for me. I mean, Tanner, how, how do you, you know, what are your thoughts on, um, on kind of where you see it going, given that, again, you produce 99% of the videos at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see. I, I think the, the whole open part of it is is probably the coolest thing just because, like, a lot, you see a lot of these resources and they're, you know, they're behind sort of paywalls and it's cool to have everything just totally freely available. And even if you want to download it and reuse it in some way, the Creative Commons license covers it, you know. So it's it's cool that I feel like we're just kind of continuing Khan Academy's mission, or at least I am on the content side, which is which is one of my favorite parts of being with them. So it's awesome to be able to contri- keep contributing that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, it would be awesome to have like a full, almost like an online uh, freely available textbook of videos to just go through an entire course. Um, yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Maybe even like an online medical school, right? For the first two years, given right. how expensive these uh, programs are to attend now. And, and one thing I'll, I'll just follow up on is, you know, the growth we've already achieved, I think, is pretty incredible. Ryan, we'll send you a chart. Um, in January, the entire month, we had 5,000 total views on YouTube. Uh, this month, we just wrapped up October. Uh, we had 670,000 views for the month of October. Um, so we're seeing like 10,000 plus percent growth rates. Um, and now we're at 54,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, as I mentioned. And then you can add like another million or so views from Wikipedia, which is cool. Um, so I, I would say we're continuing part of what Khan Academy started, but but even broadening it because, as I mentioned, I think at this point we're the largest provider of videos to Wikipedia um, because of our non-restrictive license that lets them use the content as well. That's great. I, I want to you, – you mentioned something about this online medical school. With with the power of the internet and YouTube and everything else that has come out of these uh, MOOCs, as they're called, the massive, um, I forget what it stands for. Yeah, massive open, open classrooms. online courses. Yeah. yeah, massive open online courses. The What used to be where you had to go to Harvard to get the knowledge from that one top professor in that one specific subject that information can be had online easily, and, and schools like Harvard and MIT are, are putting a lot of these classes online. It, it seems silly to have over 160 or 180 medical schools that we have now all going through the same thing, spinning all their wheels together, teaching the same thing over and over and over again, where we could just have one national medical school and, and all the students take their online classes and then and then for the clinical years obviously are at local hospitals doing their rotations is that is that where you see the future of education in general going it's really interesting that that you mentioned that i mean we've had a lot of conversations with groups like the ama and um uh, abms about what that looks like it's it's good it's you know something where i think the diversity is is valuable to some, you know, to a large extent. Where you know we have osteopathic schools, we have allopathic schools. Um, some schools in the southwest teach about certain diseases that show up in their patient populations more than the northeast, where like Lyme disease is more of an issue. And so I think some regional diversity is important. Um, I do think that there is a lot of wasted energy and resources in the same professors giving the same lectures year after year. Um, and oftentimes these lectures, what, what we're seeing happening in medical schools and other health profession schools is these professors are teaching the largely empty lecture halls. Um, 
and the students instead are opting to use Pathoma and Golion and whatnot. And one interesting point is, you know, while the MOOCs have originated from groups, you know, universities like Harvard and Stanford and whatnot, um, you know, Golion used to be the most popular uh, audio lectures for medicine, and maybe still is to some extent. Uh, Golion is a professor at Oklahoma State, and so, um, or, you know, University of Oklahoma, one of those uh, institutions down there, and, you know, has taught more medical students than, than most, you know, most Harvard faculty, for example, and, and again, going back to like Tanner and Rishi and what they've done with open osmosis, you know, those videos have been viewed more times than any individual faculty member at Stanford may have produced a video that that's been viewed. I mean, don't hold me to that, but I mean, essentially you get kind of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I think we want to go to a point where we democratize access to this information. It's delivered in, it's like the best lecture for sickle cell anemia that you can find. And it frees up faculty to do problem-based learning, to do case-based discussions. It frees up students to see patients, to learn how to use an EMR. It basically kind of flips medicine on its head because the question is, do you actually need to know some of the minutia that is now tested on these boards uh, long-term, or should we, should we basically speed up the curriculum um, and reduce the cost of it so that uh, more people can become clinicians who eventually you know, do the important work of helping patients? Uh, another quick thing I'll mention is that these videos are being translated into uh, 10 languages or so, you know, Thai, uh, Japanese, Spanish, Portuguese, um, etc. And they're being disseminated internationally to, um, to under-resourced uh, areas. So I was in Namibia in March, uh, where the University of Namibia, a lot of the students there use, the, use Osmosis, the platform, for free, as well as um, the videos, obviously. And so one of our big missions is to democratize and, and make it more international. Um, actually, our videos right now get more international views than, than Khan Academy was able to get um, as a percentage of their total views. Uh, so we're, we are fulfilling our mission of open and global health education. Wow, that's awesome. How can a pre-med student that's listening to this now or a medical student that might be listening, how can they either get involved with open osmosis or how can they start thinking like you think and having the impact that you're having on the, the medical world as a whole? Yeah, I mean, you know, Tanner, maybe you can talk about kind of how we do work with uh, people who come and approach us to do everything from script writing to, you know, uh, video animation if they're, if they're talented enough to do that. Um, you can talk about that. And, and just briefly, my plug will be, you know, I, I don't think anybody should force themselves to think about, you know, trying to do impact. Like if they are a med student or pre-med student who wants to do the one-on-one -on -one patients, um, we need we need those people to like really focus individually with patients. Um, and so if you have an inclination, though, to, to create things, to be entrepreneurial, certainly I think there's a, a growing network of uh, medical students and pre-med students and whatnot who've who've done this and they should certainly reach out. I think Ryan, obviously you're a nexus of many of these people. So if they contact you or contact me, I'm happy to talk to them. I've written a couple articles on, on this topic. Um, but in terms of open osmosis contributions specifically, Tanner, maybe you can start by, by sharing some of the things you think that they could contribute. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so since I'm the only one doing these videos, it's just kind of been treading water. Um, trying to make these deadlines. Um, so we have been looking for people. And, and honestly, I, I don't think if you ha like have a strong background in science and health and medicine, like I, I don't think you need to you know, be a doctor to do these, to, 
to illustrate these videos. Um, and if you, if like, because that's kind of like my background, right? I have a master's in biomedical engineering, which is kind of you know in the realm, um, but also just I have an interest in in the field, and I have been doing this for a while. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're definitely always looking for illustrators and people willing to contribute and who are good with um, kind of like the technical aspect of it too, and making the videos. Um, as well as scriptwriters, we have we're starting to grow a, a pretty big team of scriptwriters and um, who are people who are just able to write an awesome, uh, concise script of information um, that will eventually turn into a video. I'll, yeah, I think I was going to say so for pre meds and for med students interested in this kind of stuff. I think it's a particularly interesting opportunity to get involved with medical and health education because. The process of boiling down this complex information into a short and concise and, and clear script is essentially what these people have to do when they treat patients. When you try educating patients, you can't you can't make it too complex. And and that's part of why these videos that Tanner's produced are so popular with patients and family members, is they're very accessible and, and not um, you know, not like a whole PowerPoint from a Harvard Med School faculty. They aren't intimidating essentially. Yeah. All of this work, Tanner, on on open osmosis, have has this implanted anything in you to to want to go and get your medical degree now? I I don't know. Um, it's kind of always in the back of my mind. I actually I did apply um, back in the day, <laughs> like probably four or five years ago, um, and you know I went through the interview process, um, did all that, and kind of ended up not getting in I got waitlisted at a few places and then didn't get in and just was like you know I'm just going to move out west and uh, work in the industry for a while and reevaluate maybe in a few years and um and so I'm not really sure and I really like what I'm doing I think um I do think that it has a huge impact and and I yeah and honestly I, I couldn't really say but um I always it's nice to keep the door open I guess um certainly it is still open <laughs> Well, if, if the pre-med years were around back when you were applying, you would have gotten in. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say that from my perspective, I went to you know I went to Hopkins Med School and I've met a lot of really smart people. Uh, I'm going to embarrass Tanner here, but uh, clearly, you know, I don't know what happened in those those years before. Uh, but someone who's able to produce these videos and educate tens of thousands of people, like. I think Tanner, you should probably apply to be a med school faculty, not go to med school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> nice, Shiv. How can we motivate those that are following in our footsteps as as they're on their journey, struggling to to decide if this is the right step for them? Go to medical school, or go to business school, or go do research and get their PhD. What What do you say to them that, that they're they're trying to figure it all out. So I think one nice thing is that there are more natural breakpoints in your medical training. I know plenty of people who, you know, there's like a neurosurgery resident at MGH I know who's getting an MBA now. So I think if you're really passionate and interested in something, you shouldn't consider that like, oh, man, I've been on this straight and narrow path for so long. I, I have to discontinue it. Um, I mean, there are exceptions to those kind of things. But for the most part, I think if you – do your research, and if you're genuine with what interests you, you shouldn't be worried about the path. I mean, uh, you talk to many successful people. Um, you know, there's a Nobel laureate in physics who gave a lecture uh, that I attended earlier this year, and he was he compared his path to this Nobel Prize essentially 
um, like uh, he was sailing. And so sometimes to get from point A to point B, you don't go straight in sailing, you have to tack. And so your career, like he, he was making the analogy that his career took digressions along the way, and the skills he developed on those digressions um, ultimately led to him being able to make the connections that uh, led to this groundbreaking discovery, uh, which led to the Nobel Prize in physics. And so I think similarly, um, someone interested in the business of medicine, in scaling impact, in global, you know, global health, or, or whatever you may be interested in, don't be afraid to take some, you know, to, to start making connections and exploring what that looks like, um, and and then taking advantage of opportunities as they come. Uh, it's obviously important to still kind of keep keep your eye on the prize because if you're like me and you get distracted too much, uh, you may you may ultimately like wind up somewhere that you're how did I get here? But fortunately, I, I evaluate myself every few months, every at least three to six months, and I'm like I ask myself the question: Am I two questions, am I enjoying what I'm doing right now? And can I see myself continue to enjoy this in six months from now? Um, and so as long as you're being honest with, it, with yourself, I think you should feel free to dive in and take advantage of opportunities. I like it. Tanner, Shiv, any last minute info about open osmosis that we should know? I, I welcome anyone to, who's interested in this. Um, to come to open.osmosis.org or email us at hi at osmosis.org. Uh, we love working with uh, pre-meds and medical students who are committed and interested in medical education. We've actually published a number of papers with them um, as well. So if you're interested in that, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Tanner, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, we're, we welcome anyone who wants to help us, I think. So. Yeah. And continue definitely at a minimum. Just watch the videos. I'm sure when you take a look, uh, you really enjoy them. All right, there you have it, Shiv and Tanner from Open Osmosis. Again, you can find it at open.osmosis.org. You can find all of their videos that they're doing on YouTube. You can find them all over Wikipedia as they talked about. They're doing some amazing things. And if you're looking to get involved, go reach out and they'll put you to work, I'm sure. Thanks, Shiv and Tanner, for joining me on the podcast and sharing everything that you're doing at Open Osmosis. I want to take a second and thank a few people that have left ratings and reviews recently. A lot of these new reviews are coming in because students are entering to win the contest, which means some one-on-one -on -one tutoring from me, some application prep, some mock interview prep, some books, some video courses on the interview process, a little bit of everything. There, if you enter, you're going to have a good chance of winning something. So go to medicalschoolhq.net slash contest to figure out how to register. You have until November 14th, the end of the day, November 14th of 2016. So go do that. Medicalschoolhq.net slash contest. All right. A couple of people that left ratings and reviews. We have uh, K0L3TT3 that says highly recommend and very interesting. Thank you for that rating interview. We have Premed Reject that said wish, wish I found this sooner. Thank you for that, pre-med reject. We have REM that says, Mentors You Wish You Have at Your University. Now, that's the best title of a review ever. So thank you for that, REM. All right, so again, medicalschoolhq.net slash contest 
to learn how to register to win or enter to win the contest and uh, get some get some free stuff. Who doesn't like free stuff? If you're listening to this in a browser on your on your device or your computer, your your mobile device or your computer, go subscribe. Go download the podcast app on your iOS device or Podcast Attic or Google Play Music or any other podcasting application on your Android device and register uh, and subscribe to this podcast. Open up that podcast app, search for MedEd Media or search for the pre-med years and find everything that we're doing. Subscribe so that you get this podcast weekly, every week in your podcast app. All right, that's it. I hope you have a great week. Continue pushing forward the path to becoming a physician is a long one, but it's so worth it in the end. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week here at the Prima Years. 